0: What's the biggest life-changing moment you've had in your life? A moment in your life, an event in your life that literally changed everything. You know, there are typical ones, right? The day you got married, uh, the day you had a child, your first job. Now, I I was like, I want to share one of these moments with you. Uh, but I want it wanted to be like, you can choose which one you want to hear today. And so I'll give you a choice, right? Because I think there's two. <laughs> one is um, how I fell in love with my wife, right? So if you want to know that one. Or the second one is the day I discovered barbecue pork ribs. All right, now, which one would you like to hear? One or two? One, two. <laughs> one, two. It's pretty, like, honestly, they're, they're pretty similar. <laughs> um, I think I've got some photos. Oh, th- this, that's, come on. Come on. Every time I see that photo, I'm asking myself, where, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? And then, and then there's, and then there's this, right? And there's this. So we're we going with two, we're we going with one. One, okay. Albert said one. Okay. I'll tell you the story. So here's the story. Hand on heart, in the presence of God, this is the truth. Is my wife here? Oh, she's back. Okay. She missed the photo. Do you see the photo? Can you show my wife the photo? Look at that. Still looks like that. I don't look like that. Who's that guy? Anyway, my wife and I met actually um, not too far from here, and we were serving in. Um, my wife went to at uh, one church, and I went to another church, and we were serving in a in inter church ministry for high school kids, and um, hand on heart, um, she liked me first. But that's not what the story is about. The story is about how I changed. And there was, uh, there was a day where I was being, and, and I can admit this wholeheartedly, is I was not uh, a very mature uh, 20-something-year-old. I was very immature, um, even for that age. And, um, and I knew Mel liked me. And I think deep down inside, I liked it. You know, I liked being liked. Anyway, not that, not that my wife did anything or, you know, not that she, like, approached me or anything. But, you know, we used to hang out. I used to have to drive her home, you know, because she didn't have a license and, you know, and all of this. So we spent time together. And, and I, was just not, I, I was just not very nice. Let's just call it like that. All right. And one day, while I was not being very nice, my wife had enough. Right? And she turned to me and went, "Can you stop being such a jerk?" Right? And I was like, "Did you just call me a jerk?" And I was so offended because no one calls me a jerk, right? I was not I was not the type of guy that would be around being called a jerk. And I went home that night deeply offended because she called me a jerk. And I couldn't, like, I struggled to sleep, right? And I couldn't get it off my mind. And suddenly, I was attracted to her. (laughs) It's weird, right? But I tell you what it is. Later, I thought about it. No girl, because I have um, a strong personality. Let's just let's just call it that—a strong personality. Um, no girl ever, ever, not even guys would ever pull me up on stuff on my behavior, my immaturity. And yet, this little—and you know, she would have been like twenty-year-old girls, like you're a jerk. And I was like oh, and then I was like, that's amazing, (laughs) you know, like, wow, like, you know, because I never had, I never had that, I never had anyone stand up to me and put me in my place, and I kid you not, that's when I turned, and that's when I started to fall in love with my wife, and praise be to God, we ended up getting married, or else I would have just been a jerk, and I still am a jerk, and she still calls me a jerk, but that's okay. That's initial, right? Now, for those that really are disappointed with that story and really wanted to hear the Hurricane roof story, find me afterwards. I'll, I'll tell you that next time. <laughs> you know, as a Christian, the, the, we would say that the, the most life-changing moment that we have is the day where we met God. As a Christian, out of every event in our life, we would say, we would have to say, that the day, the moment where we met God was the day that life changed. And not just life changed, but eternity changed. Now, we're in the book of Acts, and we're, we're looking at this story of what happened after Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected, and went back to heaven and, and and we're looking at well what happened after that you know we saw the birth of the first church last week um abs anthony abs abs we'll go with abs you know shared with us what did you share with us <laughs> No, no. I'm just thinking about the passage he didn't share last week that I have to talk about because it's about Stephen. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Philip and the Ethiopian. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't preach one week. But there was a story where... So so we're seeing the gospel starting to move out of Jerusalem. And more and more people are sharing and witnessing uh, what they had experienced about who Jesus was. But we're also seeing more and more persecution Um, with that as well. Now last week Abs talked about Philip and the Ethiopian and Simon the sorcerer and all that and starting to see these stories of the gospel going out but the part that he didn't share about was the chapter before that and it was about this guy called Stephen and Stephen was the first guy who died because of his faith and I think Abs was a bit scared to share that story because it was about Stephen and I you know, I don't take it personally. But Stephen, he, he, he what we call, we call him a martyr. A martyr is someone that dies for what they believe in uh, by because of their faith. And in this story where Stephen dies, we get introduced to this guy named Saul. And this is who we're going to be talking about today. Um, and so, We're going to be in chapter 9, but we're going to start back in Acts chapter 7, just to give you a bit of context. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, such a holy guy, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea, Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So this is who we first, This is when we first meet Saul. Stephen is being killed and we find out that it is under the authority of this guy named Saul. Saul approved of his death. What do we know about Saul? Saul was a Jewish man, a leader and a teacher of the law. And we know that he is very passionate about what he believed to the point... Any opposition to what he believed and his people and his teachings, he considered a threat, and not just a threat, but took it personally to eliminate that threat. Jesus and his teachings were a threat. So we see in Acts 8:3, Saul is going to house to house to house to find these Jesus followers, putting them in prison and ultimately putting them to death. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is very zealous, very passionate, but understand he's A murderer using his position of power to persecute the followers of jesus now you have to understand this you need to understand the depth of saul's beginning saul is a bad guy like he's not just a bad guy he's a rotten terrible guy he is not just you know like you know we, we don't like you we don't like you he is going and finding christians putting him in jail, and some of them will die. And then Paul, Saul has a life-changing moment. Let's read in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. This is an amazing story. Saul is going to Damascus to persecute the believers of Jesus. And right on the journey, Jesus turns up in a supernatural way. Through this light from the heavens. And he addresses Saul. Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The encounter happens, and he and Saul finds himself blind. Couldn't eat, couldn't drink for three days. Now, son, they don't talk about this, but. Imagine Saul sitting there, blind, three days, three nights. He can't eat. He's not drinking. And he's sitting and he's pondering, what just happened? What just happened? I'm I'm heading down to Damascus to persecute Jesus because Jesus is a false prophet against what I believe. And yet Jesus turns up meets him personally. It would have been very interesting to know what Saul would have been thinking in those three days. Let's keep reading verse 10. In Damascus, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man From Tarsus' name, Saul, for he is praying. Interesting. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Such an interesting story. God calls his disciple to an- called Ananias and says, hey, you need to go and meet Saul. And Ananias is like, yo, I know who Saul is. He's coming to get me. You know, Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. And so when God said, go and meet him, what Ananias was signing off, ultimately he he was running a risk. Because if this wasn't from God, he was literally going to meet the man that was going to kill him. But God replies to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the, their kings and to the people of Israel. And, and Ananias would have been thinking, this man? Saul? He's killing your people. He's putting them in jail. You're going to use this man? Surely not him. Surely Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales Fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And a nice ghost, and he's obedient to God. Meets Saul, prays for Saul, scales off the eyes of Saul, and then what? Saul got up and was baptized. What happened in the three days? Or well, what we can see is we we can see that he was praying, and we can see that God showed up in dreams. And during those three days, I reckon Saul was sitting there thinking about his life, what he had what he had believed in, what he had lived for, and yet this encounter with Jesus that completely changed the direction of his life. He was literally blind, and now he can see. And so he gets up, and the first thing he does. He gets baptized. What's baptism? It's an outward sign of an inner inner decision. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. What do you do? You go get baptized. Not because that makes you a Christian. You know, you don't have a wedding to fall in love with someone. A wedding is the outward symbol of the love you already have for that person. I love my wife therefore let's get married i don't go hey let's get married and then maybe i'll fall in love with you right same with baptism you get baptized because you have already made a decision in your heart i am gonna follow jesus and then we see that his life literally changes and and we're gonna see through the rest of the book of acts Saul persecuted the church and after this encounter with Jesus, he's going to go the other way and he's going to build the church. Verse 20, 21, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? That was Saul. That was his purpose. But when he met Jesus, not know about Jesus, but when he met Jesus, his life completely changed. And that's what happens when you meet Jesus, when you decide to follow him, your life completely changes. Now, many of you have heard my testimony of when I first met Jesus, so I didn't want to um, share that again. But I wanted to invite one of our our leaders, Sung Woo, to come and share his story. And as he comes up, I've got some photos. (laughs) That's Sung Woo on his wedding day. Ignore him. That's Kenny. That's our high school friend. But I was like, doesn't Jenny look exactly the same? But like, who is this man in the middle, right? And then I thought, well, that's probably the good version. And I, I tried to find that like the, the youngest photo or Sangwu that I could find. And I found this one. Here we go. That's right. I just won't comment on that. Anyway, I'm going to invite Sangwoo to come and share his testimony.
1: Thanks, Pastor Steve. Um, good morning, church. My name is Sang Wu and I'm here to share my testimony with you guys. I've got a time limit, so I've got to keep to that. Now, I grew up in a very, very conservative Christian family. It was very strict. Um, so from a young age, I actually didn't want to be a Christian. I ran away from it as far as I could, as fast as I could. So when my parents stopped forcing me to go to church, I didn't go, probably around grade nine. Now, um, I got into lots of trouble as a kid. It got worse (laughs) as a teenager, and then I fell off the cliff as a young adult. It got so bad that um, my parents actually said, if this guy continues to stay in Sydney, something bad will probably happen. So they probably weren't wrong either. And um, they said, do you want to go to Shanghai? My sister was in Shanghai at the time, and I said... Why not? I didn't have dreams, didn't have goals. All I wanted to do was have as, as much fun as possible every single day. And I thought Shanghai, big city, um, great platform for me. So at the age of 21, 2004, I found myself in Shanghai, living my dream life, right? I was teaching English and for some reason I was actually pretty good at it, which is funny because I'm not good at English. (laughs) I wasn't good at English then, still not good at English now. But for some reason, people kept coming. So I had a good network happening, I had referrals coming in. So I was making, you know, enough money to fuel this lifestyle that I had chosen. And um, that wasn't good for me, to be honest with you. I got very comfortable, and my lifestyle actually consisted of lots of, different juices and candies, if you will. But anyway, it continued on for a long time. Um, I was probably seven years in. I hadn't gone back to Sydney all that time. I was away from my family. Um, But I was so jaded in my lifestyle that my visa had actually expired. So I was in Shanghai without a visa. I didn't care though, because, you know, I really didn't care. Then my passport expired. I didn't care. That's how messed up I was inside. All I cared about even then was just to have as much fun as possible. But the funny thing was with worldly things, you do it for the first time, it's great. Do it the second time, it's okay. And then it keeps going down because it never completely filled me. I was always, there was always something there that left a hole. But anyway, by this time, I was also lying to everyone I met. You know, I was 28 or so. And um, I had nothing going on for me, so I was an IT program software engineer. I don't even know if that's actually a job, but that's what I was. And I just lied to everyone. I literally became a pathological liar where my life was just an absolute farce. And then I met my lovely wife, Jenny. She's sick at the moment, so I hope she's feeling a bit better. Um, I lied to her as well, of course, but she's a smart girl. She connected the dots and realized that dots didn't actually match up. Then she confronted me with it. And I actually confessed. I told her the whole truth, and then she dumped me. And that's what you expect. But she called me a couple of weeks later, and that phone call changed my life. She goes, you're still a jerk, but I feel like I need to help you get home. I hadn't thought about home. I thought, look, I'm gonna end up probably staying here for the rest of my life and I'll probably die in Shanghai. And I don't know if anyone would care, but Jenny was like, we gotta get you home. So we went to the Australian embassy and um, they told me I had to renew my passport or get a new one, a temporary one. And once that comes, I've got to turn myself in to the Chinese authorities. And that's exactly what I did. I went, got my passport, Took myself to the local cop shop and they investigated me and took me to a detention center. Now, this detention center, um, it's actually a prison. I reckon it's worse because it's a... I won't go into too much detail, but there's a cell, eight bunk beds for up to 16 people there. It's very small. There's a toilet. It's an open toilet. When I say it's an open toilet, there's no walls, no doors, nothing. Just a hole. That flushes. And then on top, there's like this hose that comes, drips water, and you're supposed to wash there. And on the right side, there's a little hose that drips warm water, and that's your drinking water. You weren't allowed to leave. You weren't allowed to um, have any visitors. You're not allowed to leave the cell, actually. You weren't allowed to exercise, which kind of... I was pretty ticked off about that because I was going to get jacked. I was going to go and I was, had this planned. Push ups, sit ups, every single day, just get six pack. Come out. <laughs> That's the truth. But you know, I did it one day, and, and um, they said you can't even do that. So, okay. And the worst of a worst thing was I didn't know how long I was going to be there for, right? Because I had no contact with the outside world. Um. Yeah. And there was a bed. You couldn't lie on the bed. You couldn't sleep, sit on the bed. You couldn't sleep on the bed. So from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., they gave us a little stool, and that's all you do. You sit there on that stool, nothing to do. So I asked the guard. I said, mate, sir, I said, do you have an English book in this place? And he goes, I don't know. Come have a look. So it took me to this room, and there was a mountain full of books there, right? I was going through them, going through them, going through them, going through them. And then I saw there, right at the end, just right at the bottom there, a book that <laughs> I could never forget that book because it was just in my brain. First time I'd seen it in a very long time, right? And I couldn't believe it. It was the Holy Bible, the only book in that whole prison that was in English, the only book I could read, right? 15 hours every single day to do absolutely nothing. And the only choice I had was to read this book. The funny thing was, it was a King James version as well. (laughs) So, um, if you guys know what the King James version is, that's the old school English. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, I took it with me, sat on my stool, day one, opened the book. But before I started reading, I actually prayed. I don't know if you can call it a prayer, because I said, God, I know what you're doing, mate. I know exactly what you're doing. I'll play your little game, right? I will read your book cover to cover, And I'll finish it in 15 days. And then once I finish it, you're going to let me out of here. All right? The only prayer I prayed for that first 15 days, I was skimming the book every day, reading it, reading it, reading it. I treated it like an old history novel, history book in very old English. So day 15 came. I had finished the book. I was so excited because my little pact with God that I made myself, you know, I did my part. Day 15 came. Day 15 went, I was still in the cell. I was furious. I was like, are you kidding me? Right? We had a deal. What is going on? Why am I still here? By this time, you've got to understand, the people in this cell with me, they were foreigners like myself, who had overstayed their visas. There were people who had multiple drink-driving offenses. And then they had hardcore drug addicts in there as well. So it's an interesting combination, but... I was completely worn out um, mentally. I was relying on myself, not going to get me anywhere here, right? We had, in the middle of the night, people screaming to get their fix, banging their heads against the walls until they're bleeding, just lots of stuff happening inside this tiny little cell with a lot of people in there. So I was completely worn out and I had nowhere to turn to, nowhere to go. So I started praying. This time the prayer was a little bit different. I said, God, I'm gonna read your book again. But this time, can your words, can they comfort me? Can your words give me strength? Can your words give me hope? So I sat down, day 16, started reading again. and It was the first time in my life I actually realized what it meant that the word is alive. It ministered to me in that cell. I had been running all my life away from this God that was introduced to me at a very young age. I went completely opposite to everything that I thought that he wanted. I thought he just wanted me to follow his laws. But in that dark little prison cell in the middle of nowhere, God met me right there. He found me. He comforted me. He gave me hope. And that just completely changed my life. I finally realized why I was a sinner. I finally realized that I needed him. More than anything else in the world, I needed God. So day 30, I had finished the book, uh, the Bible again. Um, Day 30 came, and normally in this place, when you're let out, they come and get you in the morning, right? The morning of day 30 came. I just finished. Um, Revelation. I could hear people in the other cells, people who were supposed to be released, they were being released. No one came for me. No God came in. No one called my name. But that was fine. So I did exactly the same thing I had done for the last 30 days. I sat back down on my little stool. I opened up the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. started reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that night, a God did come. He did take me out. For some reason, I was the only one that was getting taken out at night, and I did make it back home. But when I left that place, I wasn't just free from this place, this cell, this Shanghai, whatever it was. I was free from myself, right? Because for the first time I had something to live for. I was free. To live for God. Now, I walked into that place a jaded, messed up, just a messed up sinner. I walked out of that place jaded, messed up sinner. But that was okay, because God didn't want perfection from me. Because his perfect son had already died for my imperfections. And that was something I could live for for the rest of my life. Now, when I came back, a lot of wonderful things happened. That'll be part two. I don't know if I'll get a chance to share with you guys here. I know I've gone a little bit over. Sorry about that, Pastor Steve. But, um, yeah, look, a lot of wonderful things happened here. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this with anyone. I really wasn't. I was still very ashamed. Ten years in Shanghai, I can't even speak Chinese, all right? <laughs> <laughs> sure
0: <laughs>
1: but um, I was talking to someone a mate and um, he actually told me he's a lot smarter than me by the way but um, he actually told me you need to share your story with others because this isn't your story and I actually thought about that and it's not my story guys it's God's story i was never the main character in my story god was and thank god for that thanks guys
0: i think so many times when we read the bible when we read stories like saul and how jesus changed that man uh, so many times we It's someone else's story. So many times it's, you know, it's a historical piece that we read or we hear testimonies from Sun Wu and, you know, and there will be part two. I just don't know when. But here's the beauty of it. In the same way that God met Sun Wu in a cell in China, In the same way that God met Saul on the way down to Damascus, God, he wants to meet you. So There are three takeaways that we need to take from this passage, and that's the first one. God can meet anyone, anywhere. Why it's so important for us to know who Saul really was is to show us that it doesn't matter who you are, what your past is, what you're involved in right now, God can meet you where you're at. I love the fact, I love the fact that God is not religious. Religion says you need to tick these laws and rules and then you will be approved. And the grace of God says, you will never meet these laws and rules. You will never. And that's why I came to you. You can never come to me on your good deeds. doesn't matter how good you think you can live your life. You can never come to my standard, but that's why I'm going to come to you. You know, we fall short of the glory of God all the time, and yet God meets us. And I love what Sanghi said. That testimony is not the story of Sungwoo. That's the story of God, and that story is for every single one of us because God is for every single one of us. So the first thing that we need to understand is that God can meet us. He can meet anyone, anywhere. There's no such thing as a write-off. Number two, change is inevitable, and this is a part that Sunghee didn't get to share. And this is the part that we're going to see later through the life of Saul. Later, Saul changes his name. He changes his name to Paul. You cannot go through such an, a dramatic event in your life and not be changed. You cannot get married and continue living like a single man. You cannot eat hurricanes ribs and go back to eating sushi and salad. Change is inevitable with such a big event when you meet jesus personally not when you come to church not even just when you read the bible but when you meet god personally change is inevitable Every day we walk with Jesus, we change to be a little bit more like Him. Now, here's the note at the bottom. Here's the disclaimer. Every single person's journey of change is different. Every single person's journey and pace of change is different. So don't look at other people and go, man, look at that life. Like, don't hear someone's testimony and go, man, why isn't my life like that? That's because you're not sung woo. That's God's plan for Him. Every single one of us has a different plan. God, that's the beauty of God. He has a different journey for some of you. For some of you, It's like that. It's this crazy, like supernatural, like lightning moment in the middle of a cell in China or on the road down to Damascus where you hear the word of God and it's just like, wow. And then suddenly everything you do changes 180 degrees. For some of us, that's our life. But for some of us, the change is so subtle that you even question, am I changing? But that's okay. You've got to be okay with your journey. But you've got to know that change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. And the beauty is God, he is patient. We are not patient. Sometimes we are, you know, we're frustrated. Why don't people change? Why don't we change? But God is patient. And he will be there, and he will be there and ready for whenever you are. Third, God can use anyone. And we're going to see this in the rest of the book of Acts. God uses Saul to be the messenger to take the gospel to the non-Jewish community. Now, let let me reiterate this. God uses Saul, the guy that was trying to destroy the church, trying to disdain the name of Jesus, persecuted, was responsible for the first martyr death. God uses that man not just to share the gospel with the non-Jewish community. That's us. God used Saul to, so that we can have church here. God uses Saul to write two-thirds of the New Testament, a man, a murderer. It's a reminder that not only can God meet anyone anywhere, but he can use anyone for anything. He can use your story. Sangwoo, you know, the friend that told Sangwoo, you've got to share that story. That's what witnessing is. That's all it is. He's the story of God in my life. God can use anyone for any of his purposes, including the broken like you and me so the question that we are left with is this have you met jesus personally not do you know about jesus not do you own a bible not have you been coming to church but have you met jesus personally For some of us, it might have been the lightning from the sky or a supernatural experience. But for some of us, it might be just the quiet peace in our heart. A whisper to our soul that says, Hey, I'm real. And I'd really like to be with you. Has your life been changed? Or is your life continuing to change? Are you ready to be used by him to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? I pray that this morning, that the story of how God worked in Saul, the story of how God worked in Sanghi, would be the same story of how God works in each and every one of us. Because God is real, and he really, really loves you. Let's pray.